Wardcast episode 236, go! I'm Dylan Alvento, and today I'm joined by Josh Boykin, founder of IntelliGames. Hi, Josh. Oh, it's IntelliGame. <laughs> Fuck. It's singular. They're both I singular. Fucked, I fucked it. Did I say Boykins too? <laughs> no. Nope. Okay. You got okay. you got okay. you got the first one right. All right. Yep. Uh peeling back the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> starting off, you made sure to say it's Boykin singular and then it's Intelligame singular. Founder of Intelligame. I'm sorry, Josh. Uh it's fine. We get it all the time, especially cuz like cuz it's not intelligame.com, it's intelligame.us. And so I think a lot of people they just like are like, wait a second, all of these things, they're confusing. I don't know how to process. Founder of Intelligamus, uh, yeah. how are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Intelligamus? Game, uh, I get that a lot on Twitch. I'm doing okay. Um, it's been an interesting past couple of weeks, to say the least. Um, and honestly, I mean, past couple of months, right? Like, you and I, last time we saw each other was at PAX East. And it did, it almost felt like the beginning of a movie where we're like all walking around cautious of like i've heard that there's this thing called coronavirus should i be worried and, are you worried is anyone worried right like i don't know like do we shake hands do we like people are like oh we'll just elbow bump ha 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 not realizing that you know two months later it would be this entirely world changing event um and it, and of course it had already had effects on areas outside of the united states we just usually are lucky to be here in our supposed first world island uh, and and don't get hit with some of that stuff. So it's been, yeah, it, uh, it, uh-huh. it's been mm-hmm. it's been some time. It's been some time. Also, PAX East, like historically, has almost been like ground zero for a lot of things. Like, wasn't it wasn't swine flu a thing for one PAX? Uh, I think so. And then there was like, wasn't there like a uh, like a pink eye breakout from like the first year that the Oculus was first publicly? Like, oh, I remember demoed. hearing about that. And then like there was a huge blizzard like two or three years back that like. But kept a bunch of people stuck in Boston for a while or in the Northeast in general. Like that's a that's a good point. Pax East apparently just does not have have a great track record. Yeah, I'm sure Repop <laughs> really doesn't want to, to <laughs> let Pax be seen as the cursed Pax. Right. Well, I, I'm just saying. I'm not saying all all signs point to you. But I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying we got it. We got to get rid of this vent. <laughs> all right so what are the odds what are the odds on pax west happening this year i i'd say low uh, honestly i i have not seen anything that has said that they've canceled pax pax west and i think honestly the reason why pax west hasn't been canceled yet is because the city of seattle hasn't declared like yep we're obviously not going to be having gatherings of tens of thousands of people in september um, I don't see any reason why we would believe that Washington State would allow that level of gathering by September. Um, but I mean, because the catch to it is that like PACs can't afford to run at a scale of we're only going to have, I mean, hell, even 5,000 people, right? Like yeah. the the contracts that they've signed, the vendors that they're working with. And I'm sure that if they were the ones to pull the plug, they would lose a ton of money on it. Um, so I, I'm honestly, I'm waiting for somebody to essentially give PAX permission to cancel. Um, but I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Like if PAX West happens over Labor Day weekend in September, I'm not going to go. I'm not not going. 
<laughs> like I just I, I think that's the catch to it. If they have to put this event on, like how many people realistically are going to fly across across the country to booth, are going to stay in hotels in Seattle, which apparently is being written up as like it's a you know liberal nightmare city. Um I just I don't think the I don't think the pieces are gonna be in play for them to be able to run this and to be able to run it profitably. Yeah, I I mean, so as as someone that like does panels and stuff, I don't know if you've ever done any panels or anything. Oh yeah, it, okay. Like the 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 panel submission portal isn't even been updated to twenty twenty. So like, <laughs> and at, you know we're less than two months out, right? Like end end of August, beginning of September, and like at this point, it would definitely have been open because you have to at least you usually get like a notification about whether or not your panel's been accepted like at least a month in advance. Right. So like I mean I think even PAX slash ReadPop um are in a holding pattern of like all right, we just have to like because I mean if they do if they do have to go forward with it, like like because because like you, you know, you kinda you kinda implied it, but like the reason they can't like cancel it outright is because of like, you know, all of the the they they would have to they're like basically like clauses right with like the convention oh, yeah. center and everything in the city that like if they if they cancel the event they they owe the convention center this much money for like booking the venue and all this stuff and i'm sure they don't want to you know you know trigger those clauses so they're they're just holding and like you said waiting for seattle or washington state to 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 cancel it themselves and be like oh can't do it can't do it cuz because the city or state says we hey, can't. it's not our fault. Exactly. There's there's some insurance companies out there that are like giving all sacrifices to the <laughs> insurance gods. Like, please don't make us pay these insurance claims. Right. Yeah. Um. So, but it, like the scenario where it does go through seems wild to me because like, you know, at the beginning of this, like at PAX East, like how many, how many companies pulled out like a week or two before it was like at, it was Sony. Yep. It was a couple. It was a handful of really mm-hmm. big ones. Um, and I can only imagine, like, it would probably be like the inverse at PAX West, right? It would be like, oh, here's a handful that showed up as opposed to a handful that chose not to come. And then, like, I mean, I, I'd be kind of interested in that just from, like, a that's, like, a unique experience. But, like, obviously, I'm not going to put my health at risk or the health of people I'm right. going to be with uh, or come home to just to just to see this weird mini packs. Yeah, I mean that and there are so many dynamics that like the we've seen obviously tons of different game events get get canceled over the past few weeks and over the past couple of months. Um Game Devs of Color Expo is relatively small scale, it canceled. E3 not relatively small scale, it canceled. Um and in their wake we've seen all of these digital showcases, right? Guerrilla Collective um uh, PC Gamer Show was this weekend. I heard there. I think there were like five shows uh, this weekend, as of you know when we're recording. So like, there have been all sorts of opportunities for game developers to get their messages out and to get them out in ways that like don't involve people being in massive groups around other people who may or may not be wearing masks, who may or may not be actively infected. Who, you know, I just don't. I also think that like where E3 exists and like they do sell tickets, but it's not like their primary thing. PAX is powered by ticket sales. Right. So like not having people show up to the show, I it's 
it's going to do massive damage to their to their bottom line. Right. And so I just don't really see, especially when you think about like, you know, of people who buy those weekend those four day passes and gosh, every time a pax is four days, I'm just like, <laughs> why yeah. why do we have four days? Though it's though it's great. Um but yeah, that's, you know, $350, $400 a person times how many attendees for packs. You don't get to make that up just by having a, you know, a quarter size conference. It's 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 weird now because now, like, I think the joke last year was like, oh, now E3 is a whole month long. It's like, oh, now E3 is just a whole season long. It's, it's like <laughs> it's the entirety of the summer. And I, and it's it's weird, right? Because I used to be pretty like zeroed in on the like Dude, what was yeah. happening um but like this this year i mean obviously there's all this other stuff going on that's like right. real much more important for me to pay attention to and then i like glance over at the, like the game announcement stuff and i'm like what is he because like the the summer game fest i thought was like supposed to be like this daily thing it was like oh we're gonna have an announcement every day and they mm-hmm. like you know came out with the the tony hawk thing I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have something on the spectacle on the level of Tony Hawk every day for however long this is going to last. And like, no. Nope. And then I, I stopped paying attention to it. And then like this weekend, we had the the Gorilla Collective stuff. We have the uh, the future gaming show with yeah. the Games Radar thing, PC gaming, PC gamers thing, and then the PS5 thing. And I'm yeah. just like, oh, no, I'm like completely, I'm, I'm out of the loop. I have no idea. Like, what's happening? And then I go back to the Summer Game Fest. I'm like, okay. Keely, tell me what's what, what <laughs> I update my itinerary for me, please. Yeah, I you know, I, I, we spent so much time talking about this sort of like the death of E3, right? And how it's like, oh, what do we need E3 for? Like it's it, it feels like it blah blah blah. But you realize in a moment like this where it's like, oh, there actually was something kind of nice about having like all the eyes in one place for one week. Right. Like even if somebody, you know, even if Sony or whatever has like their own one off conferences, the idea that like everyone's got a focal point to work towards was helpful. And now because there isn't sort of an or there isn't like if there was a website, right, a a website that and I know that there are a number of different folks, I think Fanbyte has um, a list of like these are various summer gaming, gaming events to keep up on. But like there's no place for me to really know. There's no established time. I didn't know that. The only reason that I really remember that Guerrilla Collective was happening this weekend was because in my Discord, when I woke up, I would like check my Discord's notifications and people would be like, oh, I'm watching Guerrilla Collective. And I was like, wait a second. You want me to to watch a live show at nine o'clock in the morning in my own house? Nah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't, I just don't know how to, I, you know, being a game critic, this is, you know, this is my profession and I find it incredibly hard to keep up. Yeah. And there's just so much, I mean, like, because so many other people have like risen to the occasion and it's, it's, it's so hard to like keep them because like, you know, not to be rude to PC gamer, but like PC gamer always seemed like, oh, this is your, this is your second stringer. Like game stream announcement right like or like the devolver one and the devolver one is like the ironic one like they're trying to be funny so then you get one game announcement out of that um but now it's like like i it's also just the time frame right it's just stretched out so long it's like microsoft's isn't until like july it's like beginning july Mm -hmm. then ubisoft's is in like mid-july and there are some in august i'm like guys i can't 
Like this is a lot. Like right. This is this is too much. Whereas yeah, if it's if, if it's in that one week, and it, it also like helps these like it creates these water these virtual water cooler moments, right? It's like oh, we can all we're all paying attention to the same thing, and we can talk about it, and like and then when it's over, it's over. We can all like kind of like chew on it, right? Whereas now right. it's like okay, well, I'm I'm tuned into this one, but I didn't catch the Gorilla Collective one, but also someone caught the future gaming one but they didn't see the ubisoft one and now it's like this real haphazard mishmash it's a scattershot um which i mean i'm sure is the case for some people's friend groups for regular e3 years Mm -hmm. because like not everyone wants to watch every presser but and like some of the people that have that usually have press like does bethesda have one this year i don't think they're doing a stream right i don't know because i mean like death loop and the new Tango Gameworks game were on that PS5 event. Yeah, it, it's hard because it's like, at least, you know, the, when I think about like Ubisoft having an event, EA having an event during E3, I I can admit that though EA Play, right, showed up because they were like, hey, we want to have our own <laughs> space and probably, you know, whatever. Literally, they want to have a yeah. new space game. Like, oops, someone leaked <laughs> the new Star Wars. <laughs> Guess we're talking right? about it now. Yo, but I, I, I'm such a, I loved Rogue Squadron on the 64. It was so good. Um, but it's really interesting because I feel like my, my ability to maintain that level of like heavily vested interest came from having all of those spaces at the same time. Like Ubisoft running its own hour long presser is interesting in its own right, but it's interesting. It, gain some interest from being at the same time as a bunch of other things where I'm already hyped, right? So like my interest level, my excitement is already up here. But when it's like my interest level is up here and then it drops a bit because life happened and then, oh, there's an event and like whatever, it's a little different when it's like, okay, well, yeah, Ubisoft's dropping an event, but like if I haven't cared about Assassin's Creed for three years, I I don't know that I'm going to like go out of my way to watch it. You know, so it feels like every company now has to come even harder because in order to get me to come away from whatever the other things was that I was doing, um, you've really got to show up to play. So it doesn't sound like you are bought into this idea that this might be the death knell of E3. If all these companies realizing that like, hey, we could just put a stream on and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are going to be a lot of companies that are going to I I, I'm actually going to I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to say kind of both. I think that there are going to be a lot of companies that will realize after this week where admittedly like everybody was putting something together essentially at the at the last minute. Right. Like PC Gamer Showcase was already going to happen. Future Game Show is already going to happen. Guerrilla Collective like is a pretty highly polished, you know, um, like launch an idea that came from the folks who do the mix and like. So we shouldn't be surprised that those kinds of uh, that there's a bit of a scattershot approach to it this time around. I think that next year there'll be a lot of people who are like, I don't think that we should not have these digital events because the ability to like wish list or buy now is is huge and is totally different even for me as a journalist. Um, and I think that people are going to appreciate that. But I also think that folks will still very much wonder like. Do I really want to put all of that money into that like physical space in E3? Because I, I think that even the idea of having those large scale gatherings next year is is going to be really hard to plan for 
Because you can't just decide in January, okay, we're going to go to E3 in June. If you're Sony or Atlas or one of these huge, you know, booths, you're planning for that the year before. And I don't think anybody has a sense of whether or not we'll even, you know, be at a point with coronavirus or who knows what the hell 2020 has left in (laughs) store uh, that they'll be like, yeah, 2021, we should totally get ready for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that. Uh, see you next year banner that's always in the LA convention center <laughs> it's just like still sitting there still hung up tattered like kind of falling off see you in 2021 that sounds like the, that looks like the beginning of a Sony game like it's like <laughs> and just like you can see the like sepia tones like right. see you next year the yes. tattered scattered Joel and yeah. Ellie must break out of the LA convention center in The Last of Us Part 3 right yeah i mean yeah it's it's weird it's this it's 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 weird i mean like microsoft has said like they're all of their events will be um virtual either through 2021 or i think they said through 2021 oh wow yeah so i mean like they're they're pretty committed in the long haul i mean like and for me like my my office my day job they were just like hey we're gonna you're teleworking for the rest of the year pretty much i'm like yeah okay like i mean and it's it's weird given how poorly in some parts of the country social distancing has has been doing um and how that is directly correlated to the the spread and the spikes of of coronavirus i mean and from a personal perspective like i i i like e3 like i think e3 is kind of cool so it would kind of be a bummer if it went the way of the dodo yeah, I, th- I think it's tough. I, I haven't been to E3 in a couple of years now. Um, IntelliGame tends to focus a little bit more on like the indie, you know, indie titles, narrative focused things. Some of the big, what I consider like splash damage events of, of the game industry that happen at E3 haven't, just haven't been my focus lately. Um, but I enjoy the gathering point that E3 creates, I, you know, being able to see other people who are interested in the industry and being able to like go out and grab drinks or like just enjoy a show floor full of people who give a damn about games. Like that's been, that's honestly what I've loved about going to PAX. And the last E3 that I went to was the first E3 that they did public tickets. Um, and that was really awesome because I saw more black and brown faces and more women at that E3 and like visibly, you know, like probably visibly like non-binary or LGBT folks. Um, I saw more marginalized people that week than I had ever seen at E3. And I think that there were, and that's like not just general attendees, but people who were like carrying cameras and microphones, like folks who were YouTubers or like just small bloggers or whatever, but were there to do the work and like get the access. And that was dope. Um, I I think that it's important to have those spaces. I, I still know people who are like, yeah, it's my dream to go to E3. And I forget what a privilege it's been for me to be in this industry for 10 years and to have gone to E3 and like the first Spike Video Game Awards and like all of this different stuff. Um, So I want there to still be those places that people can like aspire to and make that physical community because it's it's just not it, it it is nice to have these digital events and to be able to chat about them in Discord and stuff like that, but it's not the same as being able to like chill at a booth at, at PAX and to you know hang out and grab drinks or be like oh I'm just gonna like walk by and see oh I didn't realize you were over here it's 
it's a totally different experience. And I think we're understanding even for as much fun as digital games can be, um, there's a there's a real importance to the existence of physical space and physical community. Yeah, I agree. I mean, some of my best networking has always been like being able to walk in front of someone and, and say hi to them. Like obviously social media, Twitter has always been Certainly. A, an important aspect of, of, you know, pounding the pavement and getting your name out there. But being able to walk up to someone and be like, hey, here I am. Here's my face. Here's who I am. Hello. You know, th- there's an aspect to it. It's weird, right? It's weird like that that's gives it so much more credence like the fact that you would like oh i put the effort in to get here and be here in front of you therefore i i have more value like i am like a more important which obviously like puts people that are don't have the disposable income to do those things puts them at a disadvantage and all this stuff so you'll have content creators that are always just like doing the good work and maybe can't get those networking opportunities because they can't go to the place and talk to the person face to face. Um, let's talk about IntelliGame. Not IntelliGamus. IntelliMagus. Intella, right. IntelliGame. Us. US. IntelliGame Us. IntelliGame Me, Josh. What's the elevator pitch on IntelliGame? Yeah. So IntelliGame is a. Let me give a little bit of backstory because you because oh. you gave me an open ended question. Okay, uh, I've been writing about games since two thousand nine. I've written for a number of different websites, and I've always enjoyed the idea of like talking about games. But I was an English major in college, and I I like I was that nerdy kid who in high school uh, we had this. My English teacher gave us this project where we were supposed to like analyze a piece of music or like uh, a scene from a TV show. And I loaded up a copy of Final Fantasy 2 slash 4 on an emulator in my high school class to show uh, a scene where like Cecil and Rosa are talking about like Cecil's internal conflict about attacking a- another country. And your teacher was like, that's not art. Get this out yeah, of here. I was, sure, was going to say, actually, I, I like I was lucky to have amazing teachers in high school. Uh, like Mrs. Long Henry was. Oh, my God. Like if I swear there was no way that she did not know that I was playing my Game Boy Advance under my desk during class. But like, there were just some times that she was like, I'm just going to let this go. I'm sure it was because she was tired and it's like, I'm not putting up with this shit today. I really just want to get home and like get a drink. But, um, but they're also like, I have this legitimate passion for game storytelling from, from pretty early on. And I just didn't, I wanted to have a space where I could explain that. Like games tell stories, they make human connections, they give us opportunities to learn about ourselves in the world around us. And though I spent a lot of my time playing, you know, Super Smash Brothers or Mortal Kombat or, you know, whatever it was that was popular with my group of friends at the time, my heart was always stuck to these storytelling experiences. So as I wrote for different outlets over the course of of the beginning of my game crit career, you know, I was like, here, write a review for this game, write a review for this game, go and, you know, interview this person, which is cool. But I always felt like when I wanted to have sort of an in-depth discussion about social justice or representation, um, you know, some of these social issues, I felt like I wasn't in the right space to do it because it was just like a general website where you just see anything, you can do anything. So I wanted there to be a space where when folks came 
to read content there. They knew what they were getting themselves into. You know that like you're looking for a discussion that's going to try and dig a couple levels deeper about whatever the media is. You know that we're going to have conversations that aren't going to shy away from talking about police brutality or, you know, the, the irresponsibility of gov- of modern government. Um and so I that's why I started in telegame. Uh so if I had to we would have to have been on a very, very large elevator for that to be the <laughs> elevator pitch. But um, but if I was going to elevator pitch it, I'd say Intelligame is a community where we make connections between games in the real world um, and try to make it easier for people to meet other people who have those same priorities. So it's a community on top of like the criticism. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I, I would say that, you know, originally when I started IG, it was like, it was really meant to be a like, okay, here's where I write about, you know, it's it's a blog. And then I started Twitch streaming and the streaming uh, ended up becoming a really big component of, uh, of what Intelligame does. And so we stream at least once a week uh, over the course of the last couple months. It's usually been two to three times a week where we'll play games and not just play the game, but also talk about, again, like relevant critical discussion, things like that. And also I'd say that the other most active part of what Intelligame does right now is our Discord. Um, we have a, a, a small to mid-sized community of folks who are finding opportunities to chat with each other. To uh, They're actually, um, one of our moderators, Martin, is going to be running uh, like a one-shot D&D campaign for some folks in the Discord. Like, It's really about creating a space where everybody has a chance to feel like they're in a safe, inclusive community. Um, we actually even have some some members from the game dev community who are in there and are able to find each other and network and whatnot. Do they like share their projects? Because I know that's big on a lot of discords. Like, yeah. So we do have um, we we have a, a sharing component, but I I have found interestingly that I think there's less there's less like hey this is my new work project and more sharing like. This is kind of what's going on with my day, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, we have a, a work from home channel that we started once the coronavirus came up, and it's just a place where people can check in and be like, "Hey, I, uh, you know, I'm I'm starting work, I'm leaving work, kind of like a virtual co-working thing." But we've also had people show up and they talk about the stresses that they're having with dealing with whatever their work is, and it's been nice to be able to, I think, have a place where people feel. Um, feel like they can have those conversations. Obviously right. it's like it's a public space. So I mean folks are are selective in some ways, but it it feels it is a space that's intentional. For your Twitch streams, like do you find that difficult to do the kind of the discussion thing? Because I mean like it's not it's not totally a monologue. It's not totally a dialogue. Cause, I mean like you do I I mean I don't know if you have guests on or or anything, but like if you if you're doing a discussion with the chat or something like how, how does that how does that all play out? Well, as your guests have probably detected already, uh, I can let the sound of my own voice be the only thing that fills the space <laughs> for a significant amount of time. So, yes, back to the giant uh, elevator pitch. Yeah, you know, um, I I think for me, I find it actually really, I find it surprisingly easy to to stream. Uh, part of it is because of just the the nature of the way that sort of stream of consciousness discussion happens in my head. And I used to do like a little bit of extemporaneous speaking, that kind of thing. So the 
idea of being on a live space and trying to carry a conversation isn't as intimidating to me as um, as I think it could be for others. But I think one of the one of the things that perhaps is a a newer concept of Twitch that maybe didn't exist or wasn't thought of as much when I first started streaming is that when you're running a Twitch channel, it's really it it varies from channel to channel, but for me and many of the other content creators that I follow or keep up with, running a Twitch stream is about cultivating a community. And so it's like, yeah, we're playing a game, but we're here because we want to share time together. So there are like pro players where people show up and they're like, I just want to watch somebody be awesome at League of Legends or Overwatch or Hearthstone or whatever. But for Intelligame, I think a lot of times people show up because they want to have discussions about things that are important to them. And so it makes it easy to kind of have those discussions because people can type in the chat and participate. And that gives me an opportunity to to riff on ideas that other people have come up with. We have guests on sometimes, but it's usually just me. And I I think that we I have consistently heard people say that they feel like the conversations that we have in Intelligame are important and that they give them an opportunity to sort of better understand the situation because I try not to I try not to just come out swinging on whatever the issue is like I try to be responsible and gather information so that if somebody's coming in like Intelligame's a pretty liberal community you know or a pretty left community. Um, so like if somebody just happens to wander in from random corner of the internet, I want them to understand that I don't have the perspective that I have just because I'm a black man or just because I've like, because I, you know, went to a college that was somewhat liberal or just because I live in Portland, but like, those are all aspects of my experience, but please don't think that I'm not out there on Twitter reading right-wing hashtags, watching right-wing media, and like trying to have a better understanding of like, I want you to hear this perspective so that regardless of who it is, you have a sense of like, this is, this is, a, this is a position that I believe. And these are the reasons why we stand up for issues of social justice, why we stand up, why we have discussions about Black Lives Matter, why we have these discussions about what it means to like responsibly social distance is because all of those things affect us, not just as gamers, but as humans. And if we try to ignore, um, there are some places in the gaming community that will say like, no, yo, just good vibes, you know, whatever. And that's cool. People can do that if that's the way that they feel like they need to run a space. And there are times that people need to be able to say, yo, I'm just checking out for a minute. It's fine. But like, in that same regard, I think there need to be spaces where people can say, I want to talk about games. I want to be in a space that feels comfortable, but I don't want to shut down everything about the outside world. I need help to process this. I need a community to help me figure out what to do next. And that's what Intelligame does. So during these like discussions and streams, do you try to pick a game that's like related to like the topic at hand or like is it like goes back and forth? It varies. Um, Wednesday nights are usually our our target night. I call it Let's Intello Play, and those are the those are the nights that we are most likely to pick something that's like, hey, I want this to be a discussion that ties into specific event. Um, Pixel uh, Pixel 
Pixel Pusher Union uh, 512 recently released a game called Tonight We Riot. And we played that like a week before the riots. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, we didn't. I, I didn't know that that was going to be uh, so closely tied. But we were talking about it in terms of, um, you know, the we were talking about it in terms of like coronavirus and the ways that when you have a government that is unwilling to take actions to protect its citizens, you know, what are the ways that people are supposed to stand up and and say like these are the ways that we need our rights protected? You've uh, you've said that essentially like, oh, coronavirus isn't a big deal. Don't worry about it. It's just going to go away. And then it spreads amongst the community. All these folks are getting their, uh, you know, are getting their businesses closed or uh, shut down. Folks are sitting at home. They don't have money. They're worried about how they're going to get food. And like, why is the government not taking action? You know, why would you not say like in Canada where they're like, here we're we're saying for four months everybody's going to have enough money to do the thing, and we don't know what's going to happen after that, but we can at least give you a span of time so that you're not worried day to day, week to week, whether or not you're going to be able to continue living indoors, eating food. Like, we'll figure it out from here. And over here in the states, we're like, well, twelve hundred dollars should do you for a few it's months, fine. right? That's fine, right? Yeah, that's that should be. How good. much could a banana cost, Michael? Right. Five dollars, <laughs> right? And so it's just, it's still relevant, you know. Tonight we riot became exceptionally relevant the next week, um, but we do try to pick games that have ties to real world scenarios and to have those discussions even when we play games that are not super new like we've been playing final fantasy 13 there are a lot of discussions in that game about what it means to push against uh to push against destiny um you know this sort of like the concepts of like coming together as a team to find a greater focus dealing with personal trauma um, and those are all discussions that we have too yeah i mean it 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 makes sense that that until a game would have more of a focus on indie games since indies you know push themselves more towards those kinds of difficult topics not obviously not trying to say that triple a doesn't like you just brought the example of final fantasy 13 but uh it's the tonight we riot thing it would be hard for me to to visualize a triple a game with such a staunch like uh workers rights organization you know planned uh uh, protest mentality uh and also the developer i think they they are co-op right yeah so so they then they said they I, I can't remember who did they interview with was it rock paper shotgun i think that they did an interview they were like we are making an unapologetically leftist game right like they're specifically and i i believe they run as a co-op uh, it was published by means interactive which um, is a uh, a department of I think it's called Means Entertainment or Means yeah, Media Means TV they, or something. Yeah, Means TV. Yeah, and they focus on a lot of like very leftist media. Um, Tonight we riot is like it's a two point five D. It's a it's like a an NES style brawler where you are I mean it's it's bloody like you know like you and it is a bit satirical but it is very much about like seizing the means of production uh by by any means necessary and you lose you know members of your revolution along the way there are no uh there are no player characters so to speak there's no hero 
um, when the character that you're controlling, who's carrying the the banner that leads the revolution, dies, uh, you just there's just another player who instantly picks up the flag, and you become that player. Um, it's a story about workers' revolution, um, and it's those indie games that are able to have more targeted discussions. Uh, Sean Alexander Allen's game, um, which has been making the rounds, Treachery and Beatdown City, um, is also a you know retro style beat 'em up. Though it's got some RPG elements and some turn-based combat that's kind of interesting, but it also is about like trying to have a very staunch discussion about like gentrification in New York City and like. Um, I think it's just, I, I think, like you said, it's difficult for a AAA company with like massive numbers of stakeholders, millions of dollars they're pumping into projects, not just for development, but also for their advertising budgets. And like, they have to try and find a way to recoup on massive amounts of money. So I don't think that they're going to necessarily take as many risks. And it's going to be harder for them to be close enough to the problem itself or to the issue that they're addressing to necessarily be able to to talk about that issue in a in a strong in as strong or as flexible a way uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't AAA games out there that aren't having fantastic conversations and they still also set the tone for a lot of folks where they could say like oh i didn't realize that you could have games that would discuss lgbt issues like this like in life is strange i wonder if there are other games out there that do um you know, that could do more. Uh, it, you know, the I, I don't liken it to like going to McDonald's or Taco Bell or something like that, because sure. I do think that there's more nuance in the AAA space. But in that sense that it's like, here's a thing that like, it may give me a little bit of what I want. But if I do want to get like, heavy on the seasoning or find out new things, I'm gonna have to like, go to a smaller restaurant. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, like, I think of like Mafia 3, like, I think Mafia 3, like, sure. it tackles a lot of topics that like AAA historically had not tackled i don't know if mafia 3 having that historical context of being set during the civil rights movement being set in a rendition of new orleans not one-to-one i don't know if that gave made 2k more comfortable in publishing that game it was like well it's like we're not talking about i mean there's no racism today it's like we're not, <laughs> but the i think about that game but then like going hand in hand with you know I think if you talk to developers that worked at Hangar 13 at the time, I think they kind of talked about it being a death march and it being like this this grueling development, which obviously like goes into you know it's all combined together, right? Like trying to, to have these statements and trying to say things in in your art, and then also labor rights and overworking the developers. But it's I don't want to be super tinfoil hat, but it's it's interesting how the games that seem to like try to go real hard in tackling those subjects also seem to be kneecapped in really terrible ways either like because i mean i really enjoyed mafia 3 i don't think mafia 3 had like a huge like breakout success i don't know if it's sold yeah. particularly well I, I think it was received okay but i think like at launch most of the focus was on like hey, hey, look at these bugs exactly um, so it's it sucks it sucks <laughs> is what i'm trying to say yeah I mean, it's, it's the difficulty of, it's the difficulty of games as a medium. Um, if you release a movie, if you release a, a book that's trying to have a discussion about social issues, like when that movie or when that book is done, like you don't have to necessarily, like you have people watch it, but you don't have to have QA testers 
watch that movie in 40 different situations trying to break it, right? Um, and the difficulty about games is that it is an interactive medium. And so I, I often have said that like, if you're going to try and tell a story through games, like first off, it has to be a good game. Like this is, uh, this is one of the difficulties, uh, your podcast listeners won't see it, but I've got a poster here for the water tastes like wine, which was a fantastic indie game that, um, or at least I, I really enjoyed it that, uh, melded these ideas of like telling tall tales across the United States with um, an exceptionally diverse writing staff where they brought in people of like multiple diverse backgrounds to write the storylines and dialogue for each of these characters from these different backgrounds. But when it dropped at launch, it was super buggy. Like even I was playing it and I was like, maybe there's something wrong with my computer. I'm like dropping frames hard and this is an indie game. Um, And so unfortunately, instead of people focusing on like, these are the narrative beats that this game is trying to push forward. And these are the ways that it's trying to like set an example for storytelling, all the reviews settled on, well, bugs, because the bugs are the first thing you see. And then it makes, you have to see any of the story through the filter of the bugs. And that is, that's pretty devastating. I'm not sure where the game is at right now. In fact, now that I've said this out loud, I kind of want to go back and see like, oh, you know, how have patches done to smooth out the game's experience? I mean, I mean, the game is at the very least, I mean, it's, it's on Xbox Game Pass on PC. I've seen it there. I don't know if it's in the, the, the giant, the giant itch bundle. Right. The (laughs) the the massive all, all games included itch bundle. Uh, but yeah, we've, uh, I've had Yanaman on the show and talked to him, I think like within the first year of its release, but oh sure, we spoke, uh, again, doing that thing where it's like, I met him face to face first before, you know, reaching out to him digitally. Exactly. he uh he was showing the game at the smithsonian because it made it into like the smithsonian uh like that's they, amazing they have a smithsonian art arcade every summer and he was showing it off there and so he drove i from... didn't even know that they did that yeah it's interesting the games they pick like because like it really really runs the gamut of like uh there there aren't a lot of like high profile triple a games it's mostly like smaller teams but like in that year that yanaman was there um uh, I had a couple colleagues locally that were in it, and I also had uh, uh, I know Robin Hunnicky was there showing off one of the Phenomena games. I think their VR game she was showing off. It's uh, it's interesting. I think it's like still trying to find its like um, tone or like sure. where it is because like it really sometimes it feels a little commercial and sometimes it feels like the more like high art uh, aspirations, but. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a cool thing. But I mean, for me, it's a two-hour drive. But like Psalm... Um, I for, I, I for, so it's like, it's not a big deal for me. But uh, Psalm, uh, part of, he's part of the Austin game dev community. I forget his last name. But he, um, he, he showed a game there once that was basically about like personal grooming as a oh, wow. person of Arabic descent. And talking mm-hmm. about like, you know, the discomfort of like, hey, I have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of body hair. And like, that's like, uh, I've, I've felt judged in my life doing that and stuff like that's so awesome to see and like you don't it's 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 great to have those those venues to be able to witness it and to give like to give credence give give, give make people feel like they have a value and have like like this 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 is worth being in the, the space and i mean like there's not a lot of I mean, Yanaman said it himself when he was on on the the podcast. He was like, "I was in the Smithsonian. Like that's a, like <laughs> that's like one of the highest like art institutions in the country. So that's 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 pretty big." 
Yeah, that's amazing. I and those are the kinds of things that like those are the spaces that I I would hope to be able to spend more time like highlighting and knowing exist. There are tons of of amazing folks who are in less game heavy spaces that recognize the importance of games as a medium. And I sometimes wonder like are those the ways that we could get are those some of the ways that we could get people to understand a bit more of the the depth of what games have to offer, right? Like if the only thing that you know about games is like whatever you see on a commercial that shows up on FX for like Call of Duty or Halo or whatever it is, then you don't know about games like Florence. You don't know about games like Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. You don't know about these games that are um, that are different experiences. The Game Devs of Color Expo uh, every year highlights games that are made by creators of color, and they have a list on their website of all the games that are highlighted at the show. You know that are um, exhibiting at the show each year, and it just feels so different. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, and you have spaces like that Smithsonian art curation. Uh, I'm sure that there are games there that are not just whatever happened to be the indie darling, but also some some really interesting other situations too. Um, it also makes me wonder, like, who's the person working at the Smithsonian curating their art, exi- their like game art exhibit? Because right. like, I'd like that job. Like, <laughs> I would, like, 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 I could do that. I would hope it's someone. Well, I would think it was someone that like has like a historical like love of games and like is trying right. to trying to uh, advocate. Pitch, yeah, advocate and pitch really hard to like the people that are like this isn't an art form or like it's low art. So it's like it's it's so weird, right? Because like games as a medium. I feel like we have this discussion ad nauseum, like just all the time. But like games as a medium is, I mean, there there are a couple different like ways you can tackle this, right? On one hand, games as a medium is like it's like Hollywood meets Silicon Valley, right? Like it's this it's this yep. weird like not even a melding, like because sometimes there's a lot of friction involved. But it's like here's you know popular entertainment meets like technical fidelity and expertise, but then right. also like in the high arts world or like in, in, in arts criticism, video games is a low art, right? It's like, it's down there with comics. It's down there with like right. pop music or whatever. Um, but then there's the, there's purely the, the, the commercial viewpoint of it, right? It's like, okay, well a game, a game is only as valuable quote unquote as how well it does. Right. And like that's, and it doesn't have to be a dollar amount. Like sometimes it could just be like awareness or presence or notoriety, um because i mean like i think yanaman has said it himself for the, where the water tastes like wine i think that that when he put that medium post out about how he had made zero dollars on that game because he was still recouping the cost for for good shepherd his publisher like i think that that got him way more like like that game was then known as the game that made no money as opposed to like here is this cool like game that fuses folklore with like traveling the the american landscape um and i always feel i mean the thing that frustrates me and i like i i feel like there's something to learn from all those different like viewpoints as opposed to like they're sworn enemies of one another and i think everyone wants to tackle it differently i think everyone has like their perfect view of like what a game is like there are staunch people that are like super anti triple a it's like triple a like there is no art in triple a or there's no like triple a is 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 a stagnation etc etc and indie is where all the innovation is and like there are some and then there are the high profile indies or like the triple i people that are like you know kind of 
I think seen by a lot of people as like a perfect meeting in the middle. Like I knew people that lamented when Double Fine got acquired by Microsoft last year because they thought like, oh my gosh, one of the prime examples of like, you know, amazing indie studios being, you know, snapped up by like the corporate evil company. Right. Um, I mean, I I did feel similarly when Campo Santo got picked up by Valve and I was like, no, Campo Santo, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I because like I really like the stuff they do, and I think like in the Valley of Gods, like looked like an amazing God. project. Um, so and we'll, upset, and I'm we'll never upset. see it again. But <laughs> the, but also like when I, I think it was Jake Rock had maybe said it on Twitter or somewhere, like maybe there's mm-hmm. a blog post somewhere, but like they were talking about how like we're huge fans of Half Life, and like. Right we've always dreamt about like, what would it be? What would we do if we had the half-life IP? Like what, what would a half-life project look like in our hands? And like, I can understand that. Like I I can, I can feel for that. Like if someone handed me like an IP, I really liked, it's like, Hey, make a game in this, in this, uh, using this like historical IP or something. Someone gave me Waluigi and was like, Hey, make a Waluigi game. I'd be like, okay, (laughs) let's do it. Like, like, I think I yeah, think there's if anybody out there from uh you know like Bandai's listening like yeah hand me some Power Rangers IP I'll do yeah. some work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um Chroma Squad 2 by Josh Boykin. <laughs> That'd be a dark game. <laughs> <laughs> but like also like um Tim Schafer has been very you know upfront and out there like speaking about like hey like there have been times when like I almost closed the doors on Double Fine because we right. had no money and I had to like tell people's like hey you're not going to get a paycheck this this pay period and like so you know and if i were in tim schafer's shoes like hell yeah i take that microsoft money because like that ensures like my own financial security and well-being that ensures my employees financial security and so i don't think like anyone has any 100 true answer when it comes to that especially since we're a commercial art and if we weren't a commercial art if we were you know fine art and also like the the world of endowments and you know supporting for the for the arts was better in this country like that might be a different discussion but like and and i and it's also i don't think like the the end goal for any any game is to make money like i also don't believe in that but i think there is a there is a there's a center point right like that that all of these like different viewpoints uh like intersect um that might not be the, the right answer the 100 percent right answer but it's like a, a answer that might be satisfying to everyone because otherwise you know we're just going to be here <laughs> shitting on the story for last of us two right like we've been doing I, well this is this is the difficulty i think is that it, it's like you said i find it more i find it more motivating to think of these different views as lenses with which to view the same scenario, like lenses in a microscope where it's not always useful. There's not one specific magnification or one specific filter that you always look at everything with. You're going to miss pieces if you're not switching your lenses, if you're not changing your perspectives. You know, I think it's really helpful to remember that like, for as much as I love indie games and like love wholesome games, for instance, like, I still spend time playing like Dead Cells or like uh you know I when the um what's the name of the 
not reliant. What's the Valorant? When the Valorant beta came out, I was still like, oh, I want to try that. And it's just like basically like Counter-Strike style shooty things, you know, and those there are multiple ways that the same person can enjoy multiple games. There are multiple lenses and multiple sites that should exist so that people can look at games from different perspectives and find the ones that fit for them. But if we I think that a lot of times when we focus so strongly on having one specific lens that we say is the true lens, then it really does. It creates a lot of infighting. It's hard for me to talk about uh, Last of Us 2 because I feel like I've heard so many differing discussions about the the sort of rumors of its storyline. The Of course, the reviews released last week, and those were kind of all over the place with some people having some serious issues um, and other people like falling in love with the game. But I think that Last of Us 2 is actually a perfect example of like, this is a game that has a reputation, is following in the reputation of the original Last of Us, which many people regard as like very close to games as high art. Um, and some people say the opposite, but regardless, um, this is a game that has a lot of credibility as like, this is a game that's more than a game. And so I think in the process of trying to create Last of Us 2, they were like, well, how do we keep up that pedigree? And perhaps in the process of trying to do that, um, they've they've crossed some lines that that feel uncomfortable for folks. I I don't know yet and I'm not really willing to super speak on it until I play it myself, but yeah. Yeah, I I have not played either. I've played like a, an hour of the first game or so. Um and I I don't even remember why I stopped playing it. I might have like been distracted <laughs> by something else at the time, but uh it's 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 interesting cuz like at the very least like we don't have to talk about Last of Us 2 specifically, but I do like how I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up this this uh Ian Bagoss tweet that I did not particularly like okay. because Yeah, I, I I don't really I, agree with his his I have that on feeling games. about a lot of his tweets actually. Like, oh that's an Ian tweet. I don't I don't yeah. like that tweet. All right, uh, here's a tweet. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but the difficult lessons are really more of dissonance. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Like, he's, he's already ready. Just, like, he's ready for second, it. The second you start a tweet with like, that's like when people start a TikTok and they're like, I don't know why this is shadow banned. And then everybody's like, oh no, let me pay attention. <laughs> people in power must not like it. You're like, you don't even know if it's been shadow banned. It's just a way to... Anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. Um, I'm I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. But the difficult lesson of the lunar narrative dissonance moment should have been that storytelling in games at a level commiserate with mature narrative media was extremely hard and perhaps impossible. And I don't agree with that because I don't know, because I, I think like there there are known knowns, there are known unknowns, there are unknown <laughs> there unknowns. There are also unknown unknowns, right? Things that we don't know that we don't know. Yeah, like the I like the idea, like lunar narrative dissonance, which is a a term that I hold in high regard because I think it's it's both uh, pedantically academic, <laughs> um, but also like you can't say lunar narrative dissonance in in a context where people understand the term and people accuse you of being vague. Like it is a term right. that it perfectly encapsulates what you're trying to say, and I love it so much. Um, and I understand it gets dunked on because it is. <laughs> extremely like obtuse like in terms of like it's polysyllabic and annoying because of that right but um like i found like we we found it we saw ludonarrative dissonance and we pointed at it and we're like well that's it and then like just kept making the same games right like yep like it 
and it, with with maybe a little bit more nuance and like uh chris plant had a had a little twitter thread about it that i really liked and he was talking about how like we discovered this little narrative dissonance as a concept like around the time of like bioshock being really big and like spec mm-hmm. ops the line and all of this and i haven't played spec ops the line so i don't spec I don't ops really, is fantastic I, I another game that That's i was like i need to play this and like started playing and i was like why did i stop playing this um yep. but it's i also think it's kind of funny that spec ops the line narratively is just heart of darkness and like how i i, I think i to me that's personally hilarious because like hey this game is really good narratively it was like well if you quote unquote copy a, a book wholesale like <laughs> like how can you mess it up um but and in, in chris plant's uh thread he was like you know we discovered that like the action didn't fit the story right and like we found that out and then AAA developers instead of making the action fit the story we had the story fit the action and then that's how we got a bunch of stories where people like pondered upon how they could be mass murderers and that's how you get like trevor phillips and gta 5 and all this stuff right um and i think i think the idea that bagas posits that it's not like it's not possible to like have this perfect melding where there's no lunar narrative distance and also it's like a a story like that's as regarded as the highest entertainment, whatever you want to put on the pedestal that you want to aim towards. I think like, that's just a design challenge in my eyes. Like okay. it's a very difficult design challenge, but like, you know, a decade ago we couldn't imagine a game like Oberdin, right? Sure. Like a game that is like completely not rooted in violent verbs, but like is like deep and, and interesting like and, and i also don't think like all games like i don't think the quote-unquote perfect melding games of story and game have to be in like this weird like the gameplay has to be a meta commentary on the story and like you have to you have to approach the story in these weird angles like no i think you could tell a linear story that is like as well regarded as like whatever film you want to compare it to and have like traditional not traditional gameplay but like gameplay that is interesting that is not rooted in violence like i think i think that is a solvable problem and i think like saying it's not i don't know i think it kind of gives up the ghost a little bit yeah i mean i th- I think for me it's that like i think that there is actually so i i gave a talk here in in portland we had a uh the portland indie game squad had a uh uh, a virtual series of talks and I gave a talk about um lunar narrative dissonance and then like some of its uh you know the the, the other ones we don't talk about so much lunar narrative resonance and lunar narrative harmony um where we have you know gameplay elements that either um at least fall in line with uh the story elements or perhaps even enhance and resonate within the the elements of whatever the storytelling we're trying to put together and to me, I don't inherently look at ludonarrative dissonance as like a disqualifier to a game. I don't necessarily believe that in order to tell a good story or in order to um, to have a situation, to have a game feel meaningful or relevant or to be regarded as, as like quality good art, that it has to be absent of this like discomfort that is created in between... Um, you know, between our gameplay mechanics and our story. But I think that a lot of times, because I think that there's that instinct of the word dissonance 
right? That you're like, ooh, no, I don't like that. Nobody likes that. Obviously, we want to, we want that to not happen. We want everything to be smooth. But people regard Spec Ops the line highly because it essentially says, like, here's ludonarrative dissonance and fucking think about it. You know, um, it, it's a space that makes you feel conscious of this space of discomfort. And like, I just think that that's a space that we should occupy in games more often. We should recognize similar to what we're seeing in in the real world right now as the entire or no, I guess <laughs> as it collapses around us. <laughs> right. But like we've we've seen countries all over the world respond to this idea of like Black Lives Matter. We've seen multiple people for we've seen like multiple industries and companies from around the globe specifically call out the like pains and struggles of black Americans, of which I am one, just in case people on the podcast haven't don't know. I understand that. That happens to me at job interviews too sometimes. Anyway, so it's like there is there's this entire element where we have to recognize that like the foundations of what this country is built upon is white supremacy that there have been any number of ways that whether it's you know the the transition of of like people you know slave catchers you know transitioning into the police state the Cl the Ku Klux Klan being like police officers like there are so many different things that we have today that are are pieces of rec of infrastructure that have come from white supremacy from anti-blackness from racism and we have to look at the situations that we exist in today while trying to find a better future and still be able to say this is sourced from something toxic if we're not willing to to see that this is a source that is something toxic then it makes it that much harder for us to address it in a later situation now i will say that there's a difference here in that like my feeling like there are some places where ludonarrative dissonance can and should exist is very different than white supremacy, which I would say should not exist. <laughs> but what I what I mean to say is that there have to be places where we acknowledge and understand and recognize where pain points show up in the spaces that we already exist. In games, that idea of like ludonarrative dissonance and discomfort is something that we can use to actively analyze the game space. Or sometimes say like, uh, you know, it's like when you watch old TV and you're like, oh, that's, oh, that, that joke wasn't great. That joke wouldn't land in 2020. And then you make a decision like, do we, do we take on a different piece of media that now doesn't have that thing that I'm now just uncomfortable with? Or do I say like, oh, I'm going to take on and still appreciate that media for what it was and whatever. And that's a decision that people make on an individual level with media they consume all the time. But if we don't have an ability to see and recognize where points of discomfort are, um, then, then yeah, we just end up letting those those sit more often. And so, I, 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 I guess in the long term, um, I agree with that idea that I, I think that it's possible to create a game that has um, that lacks ludo narrative dissonance. Um, but I also acknowledge that, like the games that we make right now, are going to be resonant. They are going to carry vestiges of the structures of games that we've had over the last not just few decades for digital games, but centuries that we've been creating games and systems. And so, like, yeah, we're we're gonna have some problems in there on the way, right? And I mean, and and having that viewpoint, like, like, is a very optimistic viewpoint, right? Like, like, in the end, it is acknowledging that there is positive change can happen. Um, yes, 
as, as long as you are actionable and cognizant of it, which I think is the current, the current mindset, right? The current, the current presence of the, of the times. And hopefully that, that, that maintains, right? Like I, I think like with the protests and right, like people, people are out there being like, it's day X of the protests. Um, and because like, this isn't something that's solvable in, in a week, in a day, in a, in a tweet, right? Um, it's, it's systemic. My cat is screaming. I don't know if you could hear that. <laughs> because your cat is also really unhappy with systemic racism. It's like, true. Yo, yeah, yeah, that's that's important. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I think about like, so uh, for IntelliGame, we ran a, a fundraiser at the beginning of, um, it was like the Friday after, uh, after George Floyd was killed, was murdered. And um, I... I'm glad for what we did there, but I also like, I also still feel conflicted, like even a couple of weeks later, because there are all of these various things that, that fall into that, right? Like they're, they're, they're unreason, not unreasonable. There are completely reasonable and deserved amounts of money, but just unlike we have seen in recent fundraising movements flowing to organizations like NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Bail Fund, Minnesota Freedom Fund. And it's amazing that so many people are willing to not only open their minds, but also open their pockets to try and help as we like actively battle uh, white supremacy and, you know, these and police brutality on a scale that perhaps we haven't in the past. But there are also all of these ways that we still participate in busted systems in the process. So it's like we run this, you know, I, I opened up this stream that I didn't anticipate would be a fundraiser that turned out to be a fundraiser. Uh, but I'm running it on Amazon, right? I'm running it on Twitch. Twitch is owned by Amazon. And so like, and I've had any number of conversations about like, I, you know, Amazon and labor rights and the ways that they have, um, develop technology that actively helps like the the government and police and police organizations like there are and so like yes um, being able to use twitch as this platform to be able to do fundraising is fantastic but there's also that element of like what are the systems that we prop up in the process of trying to make that good happen and i think we have to be observant of that i don't necessarily i've considered moving intelligame over to like mixer it's still Microsoft. Microsoft's still a big company that has its own issues, though I think that if I had to pick between, you know, if I was like inviting one of them to dinner, Amazon sure. or Microsoft, I, that would actually be a very easy discussion yeah, for it's, me. It's very, it's weird when you do the ethical scoreboard for like, exactly, you know, non-human entities. It's like, okay, <laughs> which one of you is not the worst? <laughs> So it's just, it's complicated. And I, I think that we live in a moment where um, the the most pure actions can only be taken on the smallest scale. And that is not to say that those actions should not be taken, should not have value, or should not be looked to as ideals. I think all of those three things, they, they should be taken, they should be looked to as ideals, they do have value. But I think the larger that you get to scale the more difficult it becomes to come up with some of those things. It's actually part of why I'm such a big fan of the racial justice and equality bundle that uh, that Itch.io is doing that you brought up earlier. That like, this is now over $6 million that this game bundle with over 1,600 games uh, has raised for NAACP Legal Defense Fund and Bail Project. Um, 
you know, and I and I support Itch as a platform holder, particularly as compared to like Steam or, you know, EA Origin, whatever. Um, they're indie focused. They have a really good revenue split with their developers. Um, but then there's also, you know, there's also like all of these games and we talk about issues in the game community and labor disputes or whatever. It's all connected. Yep. It's all connected. And it's just, yeah, if it's not intersectional, it's bullshit. So we just have to recognize that as we're tackling problems, there are other underlying problems that we have to pay attention to. It is, like you said, a sustained effort. We can't, um, we can't donate our our five dollars to our bundle and be like, "Yep, we did a good job." Yep. And now I'm gonna Pat lose mother. <laughs> yep, and now I'm gonna pay these play these sixteen hundred games forever. I fixed racism. It's not how it works. Uh, it, how does Apple Podcast feel about cursing? Because I'm I'm curious if, <laughs> if it's not intersectional, it's bullshit. I wonder if I can get away with that as an <laughs> episode title. It's uh, I I I will admit it's not my phrase. I feel like uh, hold on, let me see if I can find it. I, I'm sure. Um, I have typically heard this in um, hold on. Well, while you Google that, I'm going to Google curse words, Apple podcasts. <laughs> um, I have typically refer, I've typically heard this phrase in response to feminism uh-huh. um, and particularly people saying if it's not intersectional feminism, recognizing that like a lot of the feminist movement here in the States was feminism for like white women. I was going to say wealthy white women, but I think at one point the suffrage movement was just like, nope, if you're if you're white women, you're okay. Um, but we have to recognize that when we make movements in social justice that we have to pay attention to. Like, for instance, I think this is a perfect example. We are having these discussions about um, about black liberation, about anti-racism, about anti-blackness. Uh, but we're also having this in June, which is Pride Month. And so there are a lot of LGBT folks out there who, uh, you know, this is usually like their moment for corporate pandering and now, and now corporations are like, I don't know who to pander to. And in the meantime, we look at like the lives of black trans folks. Like the, I, I had read a tweet that I should probably verify before saying it out loud, but I, but it's like the, the average lifespan of black trans folks is like the life expectancy is like 35 years old. Right, like the the murder rates and the unsolved murders of Black trans folks are are percentages far far and above the rest of the population, and like if we don't recognize that people who exist in these intersections, that there are people who are like it's not just whether you're Black or you're LGBT. Like there are Black LGBT people out there who are who are at risk and we have to find ways to be able to support these communities and and elevate those voices which is why um i thought it was really it was really cool when the minnesota uh freedom fund which is a um a, a bail fund in minnesota uh which basically Josh raised thirteen thousand dollars for let's not let's not gloss over that <laughs> Well, thank you. I mean, it's um, I'm really thankful to the people who really got behind the Intelligame community that Friday. Um, It was a really hard conversation to have. And I brought up a bunch of stuff that like sucks to talk about. But I'm I was really inspired that there were so many people 
in the IG community who thought that that was an opportunity to to stand up for what they felt was right. And since then, there have been so many other content creators. I mean, Tanya DePass has raised over, uh, and like her team has raised over three hundred thousand dollars for Bail Project. Um, Spawn on Me podcast, Khalif Adams, and like the the team that uh, he put together for this particular episode, conversation on race, um, has has made really big social impacts. Like there are folks out there doing work. So I try not to spend a whole lot of time talking about what I did. That's um, I mean, I wanted to shout you out. I didn't want to. Oh no, I, I I appreciate it. And like I said, I I'm really thankful for the community that um, that we have that is willing to step up when I like, I didn't even plan that fundraiser. I just randomly hit the go live button and eight hours later we'd raise $13,000. So like I, I admit um, that's a big deal and I'm very thankful um, for that platform. But I, I think it's amazing when an organization like the Minnesota Freedom Fund says, Hey, stop giving us money. We've got enough. We are getting money from all over the globe. Please donate money money to the Black Visions Project, which is a um, a collective that focuses on like Black LGBT issues in mini in Minnesota. Or here's a list of all these other organizations. Like we see this space where people are willing to say, like, here is if money is a stand-in for power. Here is the way that we are able to like take in the power that we need. But then also give that power to other people who need it for reasons too. Like we need to make sure that folks in the LGBT community are getting the resources they need as too uh, as well. Uh, there's uh, a friend of mine who said, you know, uh, if I'm eaten, we all eaten. The like the it's not about just me. We all need to be coming up at the same time and using this opportunity as focus to be able to um, to fix issues beyond us. Indigenous communities right now. I mean, like indigenous communities and the Navajo Nation in particular is the hardest hit section of uh, in regards to COVID here in the States. But like for as much as for a split second, we were having discussions about how the black community is being disproportionately affected by COVID here in the United States. Ghost town when it comes to discussions about indigenous communities. And there are so many ways that indigenous communities are under are underserved and disproportionately affected by systemic issues in this country and have been since this country came to be. And yet we have not tried, we have not worked, we have not been able to actively platform and stand for those voices, even though we can look at something like Standing Rock and see where indigenous folks are continually stepping up for all of us by extension, by trying to protect the planet we live in and the resources we have. And I, I look to folks like, um, I look to, to, I, I unfortunately don't know very many indigenous critics. I mean, uh, Dilacina, I've seen the work of Elizabeth Lepense, um, and like, they're, they're just, this has to be a space where we recognize, like, we need more voices. One of the things that I've, I have not, uh, I haven't hit send tweet yet, but I have talked about. <laughs> it's in the I'm drafts. Like, yeah, you know, I I love seeing all of this discussion and all of these resources that people are putting together for funds for black game development. We need more black game developers and we need those those people who are doing that labor not just to make the games that they want, but also essentially doing labor for the culture to be compensated and to be able to um to be able to do that work securely. I also want to start seeing funds for like, and we're also seeing a lot of developers who are saying like, we're putting efforts towards uh, making sure that we hire more black, uh, you know, more black staff. I appreciate that. But, um, but I want to see, I really want to see some folks out there that are like, yo, we need to put, 
Um, we need to set money aside and bring in black writers. We need more black critics. We need like the infrastructure that helps to inform because I, I think about how many games were out there that like people talk about Final Fantasy X-2. Final Fantasy X-2 got panned essentially because like there weren't women in the space to talk about. Everybody was like, it's a, it's a girly game with dress up or whatever. Like when we have diverse voices to be able to cover some of these experiences, like perhaps it helps us all learn and grow together. So like, I really want to see like, uh, to, uh, to during the PC game, uh, the PC gaming showcase on Saturday at the beginning of the stream, uh, they put in a link to pcgamer.com slash Black Lives Matter, where they called out that they are don't they are specifically calling out diversity targets to bring in more black writers. Uh, they're also like dedicating advertising revenue to black causes. Like, I want to see the critical infrastructure for games also get this infusion of black and other people of color created content because I feel like we we need these kinds of discussions to help us as we try and bring in more black games as we try to make more black games have more black influence if we don't have more black people looking at these games and trying to give that perspective it's going to make it's going to feel real uncomfortable because I mean like the the people they can't develop the games and be the critics of them too right right like it's just that's that's two full-time jobs that's a lot of jobs yeah two full-time two full-time underpaid jobs <laughs> uh yeah then did you see the 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 salaries everyone tweeting their salaries also <laughs> that was there's just a lot there's just a lot happening there's a lot going on right now <laughs> not happening. and then there were the call outs about the salaries it's like hey see some people haven't said their salaries yet those people should talk about their salaries it's hard. It, it's hard, especially for folks with institutionalized power. Um, and it's also, I think, difficult for some folks to be able to tell, um, you know, for folks on the margins right now, like silence is sometimes a survival mechanism. I've had days where I have felt like, wow, I really should be tweeting right now, which sounds like, you know, people talk about slacktivism, right? From the, you know, I, oh, do you, th- you really think sending a tweet does something? Like, actually, particularly in 2020 it does like viral tweets can encourage can encourage financial donations they help people go out and like and coordinate to go and protest like they even just raise awareness i think that there's a a sort of cultural awareness and acceptance of like discussions about black lives matter right now the needle has moved as a result of the groundswell of so many people that like i know on facebook right facebook is a totally different ecosystem than twitter but like grandmothers and like random friends and like whatever who are all like hey actually i usually don't talk a whole lot on here but i feel like if i don't say something i'm being complicit and like Black Lives Matter, and this is what this is how discrimination is is working and is effective. Like those tweets, those statuses, they do matter. Um, it's not enough. You need to do more than send tweet, but like it is an important part of activism. And I've also felt a lot of pressure as a black creator in the space right now, as a black game critic. And I know that there are more of us than than people think, but we're not certainly by any means a majority of the industry. So you feel this pressure that it's like if I'm not constantly send tweet, if I'm not constantly coordinating, um, that I am somehow like. I am losing the signal boost. I am. I'm not doing my point. My part for um, sending the message right now, and I'm 
so thankful that there are other people out there who have been more vocal than I have, but, uh, but it's complicated. Yeah. And an already complicated time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, I don't know how to pivot well from this because <laughs> I don't want to not that's, stop talking about it, but also I, uh, I no, don't know. That's okay. I don't that's know okay. I, I think, I think we, I think we can move. I mean, I, I it's, it's it's a heavy conversation, and I'm glad that I'm I'm glad that you're cre- providing a space to have it. But I also um, I also get that you know there there are other things in the in the game space too, and and uh, our goal is to now learn how do we walk and chew gum, right? How do we how do we spend this time where we've grieved and and provided this exceptionally active hyper focus, and now not let that fatigue. Um, allow us to forget about these situations as we have discussions about other things. Um, Black lives have mattered, will continue to matter regardless of what happens in the game space. Uh, But we do also like care about games and care about our work and need to find ways to make sure that we are pushing for social justice at the same time as we are pushing for the the games that we love and the, and the culture that we're helping to actively create. You always, you need space to, to, to feel wholesome. Right? Yes. <laughs> There's my segue. I see what you did. <laughs> uh, I I just briefly want to talk about it because I think it's a it's a cool thing. Um, yeah. The the wholesome direct. Uh, which I, I what is time? Time is a flat circle. <laughs> How long ago right. was it? A month ago? It was about two weeks. Okay. I think it was about. Was, was that it? Because it was. Hold on. Um, I don't think it was a month ago. I'm telling you, Josh. There are too many E3 streams announcements. And this Wholesome Direct is contributing to that. Yeah, Wholesome Direct premiered uh, on May 26th. So, and I and I remember that because uh, it was like, on one hand, I felt super happy about Wholesome Direct launching, but it was also like the day before all the shit really kicked off in regards to the, the protests for George Floyd's murder. Um, and I was also thinking like, and Brianna Taylor, who is not getting the the attention or the respect that that case should have gotten. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous that her murderers are still not arrested, that they still have jobs. Um, anyway, but yes, wholesome direct was two weeks ago. <laughs> um, how did that all come together? Cause I know. So, so for clarification, you helped you, you provide one of the voices. Basically you were one of the, the MCs for it. You and, and Jenny, uh, another yes. great person from the, the Portland area who we've also had on the show for, hidden gems panel so I'm, I'm not really clear on like wholesome games as an entity and then like yeah your part and jenny's part coming into that so so i i'll say uh i'll say what i know um and i feel like actually uh james james tillman who is one of the the kind of co-founders of uh, is the brother of uh for wholesome direct and uh, James is actually is also part of the Intelligame community. So I think he actually found out about IG through Jenny um, and Jenny Windham, who you said you know has been on the show before. She's the uh, Intelligame Club curator. We have a a monthly game club that's been on on hold right now because long term planning for stuff's a little difficult right now. But we have a, a, a monthly like book club style game discussion, and so. Um, the wholesome games community there's a there's a, a wholesome games discord and that's predominantly where the spaces existed but now there's also wholesomegames.com uh that you can go to to find out information wholesome direct was a uh, an event 
<clears throat> that James and his team decided to put together as a result of E3 being canceled because there were so many developers that were looking to E3 as an opportunity to get the news about their games out, and they didn't have the opportunity to once the show was canceled. And so through the Wholesome Games community, which has, I can't remember how many tens or hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, uh, it's got a bunch, but like uh, basically through the Discord and through Twitter, they basically took calls saying like, hey, if you've got a Wholesome game um, and you would like to submit it for this like Nintendo Direct style online showcase, let us know. And apparently like they just had ridiculous numbers of submissions. And the cool thing about it is, again, like there's a difference between the folks who are able to uh, go through something like E3, where you have to, as you talked about, spend all that money to get out and whatever. And then people who are like, yo, I'm working on this indie game. Let me submit my video. And so uh, once all that content came in, uh, they reached out, actually, James reached out to Jenny and I pretty early in the process and said, hey, like, we'd like you to to be our our hosts for the show. And so we essentially provided voiceover to narrate the the experience. And so um, even though Jenny is more active in the Wholesome Games Discord itself, um, I, I but we also like do a lot of advocating for Wholesome Games as an aesthetic and IntelliGame. Uh, and these are games which are like generally nonviolent. They they there's a <laughs> they actually created a rubric that's interesting. But it's like uh, I think people will generally summarize Wholesome Games as like games that have a have a story or a discussion about humanity and usually leave you feeling um feeling some sort of emotional connection that you may not have felt before and so they're not always happy and smiley they're not always super brightly colored um they're not always nonviolent um but there are a lot of spaces of like peacefulness and even coziness that can go into wholesome games and so um I was. I'm still incredibly thankful for the opportunity to have been able to to help be the voice of that showcase. Um, I'm. I do not think it's going to be the last one. I'm sure that that was um, pretty popular. And of course, with it being kind of in the lead, uh, one of the first few of these big indie game events that have taken place. I think it. Um, I think especially because it has a specific tone, right? Like it's not just here's a game event. Here's a game event. It's like, here is a group of this kind of game, this particular aesthetic. And like during Jenny's Wholesome Games panel at PAX East, it was packed. It was standing room only. Like people would leave and then new people would walk in and find the one open chair. Um, Wholesome Games, I think, is an aesthetic that tons of people are really interested in. And I think it's a community that's underserved. And so I think the more people find out about this space of Wholesome Games and find out where they can access them, I think you'll only see it grow. I mean, I think the the second day of the Gorilla Collective, I think they started organizing the games on that stream by types or genres or something. Um, so yeah, it would make sense that you would have games having these collectives that hit a certain tone or aesthetic or something like you you build a community off of that and then you we can showcase a bunch of games all at once like i mean we don't do it stylistically like that for like the hidden gems panel but like the panel benefits from it's it's a here and now type of thing it's like you're here you need like what's on the show floor i have no idea pick some yep, stuff out. let me help me. you yeah um was it always the intent to have it like it, 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 I rewatched it uh, this morning and 
I was I, I I just really like how the VO is just very much like a Nintendo Direct. It's like here's a very <laughs> like like Josh has his calming voice turned on and he's gonna lead you into like what this what this game is about and then now we're gonna let the trailer play and then okay now you're gonna pick it up as the trailer winds down. Like I like that. Was that was that always the intent to have it that style? Yeah, so so very early on, even when it was in the formative stages of just like, I don't know, I have this idea. James was very intentional about saying this is something that we would like to do in the style of Nintendo Direct. And so as it became a more concrete project, um, and I will say this was also incredibly organized for as fast as they worked on this project, um, the, the time span in which it came to life. And yet they still were just like, they were super organized about here are some references for things that we would want you to like kind of channel in times in terms of tone. They give us the scripts that we were supposed to read for each individual game. Uh, and then they also, for any like any names of games that might have been like more complicated or uh, that I might not have gotten on first go, they gave us like pronunciation guides pronounced by the developers. They like it, it honestly... I I feel like I didn't have to do much of anything at all other than press the record button and talk. And uh, that is very different than many other projects I've been a part of. So, uh, but yeah, they were very intentional. It was like, nope, it's a, it is a Nintendo direct style thing. And I think that because of that direction, I just kind of inherently ended up channeling this like very soft. (laughs) This is a game about something wholesome like i you know uh, i don't always talk like that but you know sometimes you just got you got to do the job do the job you're asked exactly like i mean like uh i think john vignaki just started working at nintendo a couple months ago or like last year or something and like he helped host the latest indie world video or one of the nintendo directs it was funny hearing his nintendo voice his direct <laughs> voice for lack of a better term compared to like how he speaks in real life um it, everyone seems like they're figuring out their virtual the remote setups right because like now that everyone has to do it like okay here's nolan north like nolan why don't you why don't you have a better mic nolan like do you not have like a home studio like what's going on (laughs) um or i think imran khan was like saying like on that last xbox stream is like microsoft like get your people like some blue yetis or something like this is the audio is terrible on this. Yeah, real talk. I think it's I think it's hard to get hardware right now. So oh, I'm I sure bought, it is. so I bought a, a the Logitech Stream Cam, uh, which I can't recommend. Unfortunately, I have had so many. Yeah, impromptu review. I was, review. To, I was like, about to say, is like is this a product review now? If you're if you're a streamer, get the Logitech C920. Like just uh, like that, that thing's been out forever, and it's a it's a workhorse. But anyway, um, I give it two Joshies out of five. <laughs> This was not paid product. Uh, So I I I bought it on Best Buy, and when I bought it, they like canceled the order. I they like took I think they took my money and then canceled the order, and they they were like, "Hey, (laughs) thank you." I was like, "Excuse me," and then they're like, "We'll have it to you in like two weeks." I was like, two weeks? It's a webcam. Like I would have just walked in and picked it up." So then, by the time I got it, I've noticed that they have been sold out, like ever since just webcams in general webcams microphones whole nine yards because like everybody is trying to work from home right now and wants to not look like a scrub but 
as as we have seen many professional like triple a whatever like everybody's like thankfully somebody told them like can you please at least tilt up your laptop so that we're not looking up your nose for this entire presentation but like it's yeah it's weird yeah it's real weird yeah i wonder what the the long-term effects on all of this is like in every aspect but like just like people getting used to this this whole thing but yeah it's it's wild it's wild like being like wow i have like we have some acoustic foam in this room like it does it does the job it sounds okay it sounds better than these the execs at microsoft <laughs> like but yeah like you said like if it's a hardware issue like i mean like i my co-host for my other podcast where we like talk about video game movies like mm-hmm. he moved he moved across the country like he moved to montana i was already kind of worried i was like all right joe like you know what's your setup like because we did it in person i provide all the hardware and he's like well i got this mic and i got this mixer and i was like okay and then like that doesn't sound very good because like i think the the mixer got rattled on the way on the move over and so we were like we were trying to we were trying to like diagnose what the problem was and it was like okay well maybe the issue is your your xlr cord so i'll ship you a new xlr cord when's it coming in three weeks i guess so yep. i guess we'll find out then and then i was like well i'm just gonna pull the trigger i'm just gonna get you an audio interface and like it's a you know it's not that much money for like a one input audio interface yeah. and if that fixes the issue great if not well then here's a pretty nice audio interface that you can use and then that got there before the single cable i sent him <laughs> and it turned out the issue was the the mixer but it was just like it was wild it was like what what is it what is happening we we've we've become so reliant on on immediacy with our products. Real talk. We're just like, oh, you know, two days shipping. Thanks, Amazon. You know, and but yeah, now everything takes like two weeks, three weeks, which is probably more reasonable. Uh it, yeah, just not in a pandemic. Right. Well, Josh, this has been a wild conversation that has gone in, in many directions <laughs> that I really appreciate. Um I am glad I'm glad we had you on to to talk about all the all the the myriad of topics we got to discuss. Well, I I appreciate the invite. Thank you. Of course. And I obviously enjoyed talking to you at PAX East. I think I always love meeting new people at the events cuz I mean like again we're talking about the networking thing but like I don't know. It's it's always nice to be like, "Oh, here's a person that hasn't been worn down by <laughs> the convention <laughs> life yet." It's <laughs> nice so yeah. to talk to them. It's nice. To, it is nice to keep that energy up. And like, it's also nice when you've been on the show floor a couple of years so you can get a sense of like, no, I'm talking to good people right now. This is OK. Like, uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you uh, I was glad to have met you at East and to be able to, to chat a bit aside from just the random passing like, oh, hey, I saw you in the circle of people that I recognize, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, Josh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about yourself or IntelliGame? Yeah. So uh, for folks who are looking for information about me, you can find me on Twitter at Wallstormer. That's W-A-L-L-S-T-O-R-M as in Mary, E-R. Uh, you can also find out more about IntelliGame by searching for IntelliGame.us on your... You don't actually have to search for IntelliGame.us. You can just put it in a web browser, no search necessary. Uh, you can also oh. find... 
Yeah, right. Who would have thought? <laughs> and then uh, you can also find on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Intelligame Us. Uh, our most active places right now are Twitch, twitch.tv slash Us, where we stream usually Wednesdays, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And then we have a couple daytime streams, but those rotate. And then uh, we're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash IntelligameUs. Uh, we're currently still donating our funds to charity. These June charities are going to be donated for um, for black charities, uh, likely the Vanport Muse- uh, Mosaic Project, which is based here um, out of the Portland area where they are basically trying to tell the story of Vanport, uh, a town that was basically a pop-up during World War II to help uh, build build resources for the war and was essentially washed out uh, when a levee broke. Um, and it, essentially, it's a big part of Black history here in the Portland, Vancouver area um, and also uh, to Black Lives Matter and an, another charity. We'll figure that out. But yeah, I, I encourage folks to to help keep this work going. I think it's important to, to keep these voices and, and the discussion alive. And uh, it's not just me on the Intelligame mic, but it is me frequently. So be ready for long discussions. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's rad um and you can find me at dill alvento and if you like this podcast you want to listen to more of our podcasts you can find them at word games.com or on twitter at word video games or wherever podcasts are found just search wordcast that is until i put bullshit in the title of this episode and then get us banned <laughs> from apple podcasts <laughs> you could just say if it's not intersectional it's bs that's what it, you know what that you, I, that's what i had in my head it's <laughs> i don't like it i don't like that i have to self-censor right but i guess i'll have to do it tim cook <laughs> thanks tim thanks tim bye josh <laughs> see ya <laughs>